Amen, amen. Thank you, choir and musicians. And um, uh, let's, get, let's give a hand for Brother Wayne up there in the sound booth. He does a good job, and that is often a thankless job. So we, we appreciate that because uh, we wouldn't know what to sing. <laughs> appreciate you, brother. Um, but I welcome you again, and thank you for coming this morning. Uh, looking forward to what the Lord has for us as we continue our series um, called Journey Through the Bible. But as we begin this morning, uh, let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for the Lord Jesus Christ and uh, Lord on the road to Emmaus. The scripture says that you talked with your two disciples and you explained to them everything in the scriptures concerning yourself. Uh, That means, Lord, that this whole book is about you. And so I pray now, Lord, that you would just help us to see more and more each and every day the beauty uh, of the story that you have written or writing. Lord, I pray you'd help us find our place in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, uh, remember as we talk, go through the journey through the Bible this year that our goal is to follow the biblical storyline and to see how it all ties together. You know, uh, one way to think of the Bible is the Bible is like, um, it's like a mine, right? And a mine does not uh, yield its treasures easily. You've got to pick up your, your pick and your shovel, and you've got to dig, and it's hard work, but... When you find a diamond, you forget about all the work it took to find it. The Bible's like that. This is a treasure chest uh, full of precious jewels. And as we dig and, and look and we find its uh, treasures, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll forget about all the work it takes to find it. And so that's my goal, and that's our desire, uh, is to see the, the beauty of the Scripture and uh, the story that God is writing and, and our place in it. And so, um, if you have a Bible this morning, I just want to invite you to turn to Genesis chapter 12. Genesis chapter 12. We're going to be talking uh, this morning about Abraham. Abraham was the father uh, of the Jewish nation and uh, one of the most important figures in all the Bible. So, we, we got a a lot we got to talk about um, uh, this morning, uh, but I think if we can just begin to grasp a little bit about uh, Abraham and his faith and his life and his place in the story, we'll find um, a lot easier our place as well. So if you have a Bible, you're able and willing, please stand in honor of the reading of God's Word. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, 
his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran, and they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through uh, the land to the place, called, uh, place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, To your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and I on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. The word of God. You may be seated. So tonight, I mean this morning, we're going to talk about uh, three, uh, three different truths. Three different truths. Number one, God's promise is guaranteed by his faithfulness. Number two, God's promise is accessed by faith. And number three, God's promise is fulfilled through obedience. So, God's promise is guaranteed by his faithfulness, God's promise is accessed by faith, and God's promise is fulfilled through obedience. So first, God's promise is guaranteed by his faithfulness. And so, I just want to briefly recap uh, the story that we have uh, gone through so far. God created the world and he created it good, good, without sin, and he created man and woman, Adam and Eve, in his image, which we said meant that they were to be bearers, sharers of God's own glory and authority, and they were to be fruitful and to multiply and to spread over all the earth and to represent God's gracious rule and reign in the way they ruled over the earth. But the very authority that God was trying to give us to reflect and show forth in the world we rebelled against when, when, when unwilling to be bearers of God's authority and wanting our own, we rebelled against God. We turned away from God and we turned to ourselves. We wanted to be the boss rather than uh, allowing God his rightful place on the throne of everything. And in so doing, it broke everything. Sin entered the world. The Bible says when they sinned, they knew that they were naked. <laughs> they were ashamed. They knew that they had fallen from the high position that God was, had made them to possess. And yet, right after the fall, God gave that mysterious promise that we talk about so often. The promise that there would be enmity, there would be rivalry, there would be war between an offspring of the woman and an offspring of the devil. And he would crush Satan's head, but Satan would strike his heel. And so what we have this morning is the hint, that hint in Genesis 3.15, that the entire story is about God's secret rescue plan. I borrowed that phrase from my children's storybook Bible. It, it, calls, it says that uh, the story of the Bible is about God's secret rescue plan. That is that God has a plan to restore humanity to save us from ourselves. And that's what the whole story of the Bible is, is God bringing to fruition his secret rescue plan. And God does that uh, finally and fully through the family of Abraham. If you follow the line of the promise, remember 
We said that God gave the promise and then the early chapters of Genesis is kind of like following the bloodline of the promise. We have all these genealogies that are tracing this bloodline through which the promise would come. And then at the end of chapter 11, at the end of the Tower of Babel, it seems like everything was just the way it was before the flood. People are already turning their own way, already going against God. But then the rest of the entire Bible focuses on the family of one man. A man named Abram, who would later be called Abraham. So what's the big deal about Abram and why does the rest of the Old Testament focus on him and his family? It is because Abram, Abraham, is the next step that through next step in his plan to fulfill his promise. In other words, God takes the promise that he made in the beginning and he firmly plants it on the man named Abraham. And says it's going to be through you that I'm going to fulfill my promise. So God chose a man. He chose uh, Abraham and he laid his promise upon him. And, and I, want you to, I want you to see this, that through Abraham, we, we have all these pointers that again show us that through him, God is going to restore humanity to the way that it was meant to be. So just for example, God told Adam and Eve, he said, it says in Genesis 1.28, it says, And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Well, let's look then at what God told Abraham. In Genesis 12.2, he says, Abraham, I will make of you a great Nation, and I will bless you and make your name great. The blessing, God told Adam and Eve, it says that he blessed them. God tells Abraham, I will bless you. And not just that, but in Genesis 17, 1 and 2, God says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be, be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. And in Genesis 17, 6, it says, I will make you exceedingly fruitful. And I will make you into nations, and kings shall come to you. Kings, what do kings do? They exercise dominion. In other words, what's he telling Abraham? He, God told Adam and Eve, I will be fruitful and multiply. But God told Abraham, I will make you fruitful, and I will multiply you. In other words, Abraham's family was going to be a restart of humanity. Just like Noah was supposed to be. It, he was going to take Abram and call him out of the world to be, to be a picture. Israel, the nation of Israel was to be a picture of what humanity was supposed to be all along. He's, he's going to, he called him out of the world and set him apart from, from the world for the Lord to serve him, to multiply him, to make him fruitful, to make him everything that humanity was supposed to be. And notice here, too, that it says a key part of Abraham, of God's promise to Abraham, was the promise to give him a land, right? We call it the promised land, the land of Israel. In Genesis 12, 1, it says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And in Genesis 17, 8, it says, I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings. 
all of the land of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Why, does God, why is the promise of the land so, such a big deal to Abraham? Well, think about it. Think about it. When God created man, where did he place Adam and Eve? In a garden. The Garden of Eden, right? And we talked about before that the Garden of Eden is described as a, as a sanctuary, a garden temple. A place where man lived with God, right? And when God told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth... What, what he essentially was telling Adam and Eve is, I want you to go and make the whole earth a Garden of Eden. In other words, the whole earth was supposed to be a place where man dwelt with God. And yet, here, God promises to give Abraham a land. Why? Because part of the purpose of man was for God to be with him together in the same place. Israel, the land of Israel, was supposed to be a picture of what the whole world was supposed to be. Israel was supposed to be a land where, where what? Where God dwelt with man. Where God dwelt with man. This was the purpose of the promised land. And we know this um, in Exodus chapter 6, when God is telling Moses to to take Israel and deliver them from a bondage in Egypt, this is what God says to Moses in in Exodus 6. It says, God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say, therefore, to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment, and I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God. And you shall know that I am the Lord who has brought you out from under the burden of of the Egyptians. Israel was to be a picture of what humanity was supposed to be. And so this is why Abraham is such a big deal in the Bible. It's because this is God initiating his secret rescue plan. This is God beginning in Abraham to show us, to set up the, the, the full and final fulfillment of his promise to where not just Israel, but where once again the whole world would become the dwelling place of God and of man. But Abraham is the beginning, and that's why he's so important, because God places all of his promises on him and on his family. So through Abraham, God's secret rescue plan begins. And the point of all this as uh, the point of all this section, number one, is that God's promise is guaranteed by his faithfulness. That is, God is a faithful God, so when he speaks, he's going to make it happen. He gave that initial promise of a, of a promised offspring who would destroy the devil who, who, thousands of years before Abraham came. Now we think, man, thousands of years is a long time to keep a promise, but not to God. 
And his his but and because he is faithful, his promise is guaranteed. That is, that is for you and for me. Every promise we read in this book, you can bank on it. That's why when we read this book and we, and we see what God has said and what God says what comes to pass, it's not merely just advice, it's not merely an opinion, it's something that you can stake your eternal life on because God is faithful. And so the lesson from this is that when we pick up our Bibles and when we read things, we shouldn't just, we should, when we read our Bibles, we need to be looking specifically for God's promises. And we should tell ourselves, God said it, it's going to happen. What does that mean for me? God, Jesus Christ said he's coming back. That means he's coming back. What does that mean for me? God's promise guarantees his faithfulness. And number two, God's promise is accessed by faith. God's promise is accessed by faith. Turn over a page or two to Genesis chapter 15. And in Genesis chapter 15, we'll we'll read more of it later, but for now we're just going to read verses 1 through 6. This is God confirming, I believe, his covenant that we read in chapter 12. So God made the promise in chapter 12. In chapter 15, he's expanding it, explaining it, and he's, he's confirming the promise that he gave to Abraham earlier. And this is what it says in Genesis 15, verse 1. After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And and Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. Genesis 15, 6. Abraham believed God. And it was counted to him as righteousness is one of the most important verses in the entire Bible. So I want you to think about this. God made Abraham what? A promise that he would be the father of many nations. And God made him this promise when he was 70 plus years old. Now, how many 70 year olds in this room? God told you, by the way, you're childless, but you're going to be your star. Your your children are going to be as many as the stars of the heavens. How many would you? Many of you would say, okay, all right. Not many of us. We'd be like, God's lost it a little bit. We would. But what does what does Abraham say? Abraham. I mean, Abraham's not. He he's clear. He you can tell he's he's saying, you know, Lord, I'm getting older. You know, this is what he's saying. He's saying, Lord, I'm a little bit older than even when you made the promise. I was already old when you gave it to me in the first place. But now I'm even older and I don't have a, I don't even have one child. But God, God, just patient. God takes Abraham. He says, come on, son, come step outside. 
You ever, you ever looked up at the sky in a perfectly clear, dark night? Abraham, he starts trying to count the stars. Can't do it. God says, so shall your offspring be. 80, 90 years old. So shall your offspring be, says the Lord. And what does it say about Abraham? Abraham looked at the stars and he thought about who was telling him this. And the Bible says that Abraham believed. He believed him. God said it. I don't understand it. I don't know how it's going to happen. But God said it. And Abraham believed him. And the Bible says that faith was counted to Abraham as righteousness. Why is that verse so important? It is because it's this small little verse that the Apostle Paul picks up on in Romans especially, and in the book of Galatians, where Paul is saying, and he's arguing, that our right standing before God, just like Abraham, does not come from what we do, but from who we believe. That is, that our, our right, God, Abraham's right standing before God didn't come from his obedience to God, but from his faith in God. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 4, verse 2 and following. He says, if Abraham was justified by works, that is, if he was declared righteous by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God, for what does the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due, and to the one who does not work, but believe in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. What does it mean? It means that Abraham and no one, not including Abraham, and no one can come to God and say, look how good I've been, God. I've earned my own salvation. That's not how it works. We can't earn our salvation. That's why God has to give it to us as a gift. Well, you don't want what you deserve because <laughs> it would be hell. But God in his mercy says, no, no, no. You, you trust because you have sinned, I will redeem you. You can't redeem yourself. Just believe my word. Trust in me. And it is counted to you as righteousness. And so think about it. Because all the God gave all these promises to Abraham and the, all the Jews, you know, the Jews during Jesus' day, they thought, well, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm a descendant of Abraham. That means I get the promise. And Paul comes along and says, no, it's not being a Jew that makes you part of the promise because Abraham didn't get his righteousness from obedience. He got it from faith. A true Jew, Paul says in Romans 2 a true Jew is not the one who has the blood of Abraham, but the one who has the faith of Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Abraham was 99 years old and childless and he looked up at the stars and said, God will do it. And when we look at our hopeless situation and say, I can't, 
But then we look up to God in faith and at Jesus Christ and what he has done for us and say, I can't, but God can. And we look away from ourselves and we look to God, the one who has sent his son for us and say, and say, God sent his son for me. And I believe, God, that if I call on the name of the Lord, I will be saved. And you look to Christ in faith and look to God in faith. The Bible says that faith is counted as righteousness. You get the righteousness, not because you're righteous, but because God gives it to you as a gift through faith in Jesus Christ. If you believe like Abraham, the Bible says you are son and daughter of Abraham, a child of the promise. That is what, that's what all this is pointing to. That's why this story about a man who lived 4,000 years ago has infinite importance for your life today. What does a man 4,000 years ago have to do with you? Everything. Because if you believe like this man did, you will stand before God holy, pure, clean, guiltless. That's why Abraham is the model of faith for us all. But note also, too, something else we learned from Abraham's life. And that is that trust in God changes us. Trust in God changes you. When we believe in God, our life will change. It's not that we can say, I believe in God and then live the same way you always have. If you trust someone, you listen to them. If I tell my son, don't play in the street, and then he says, oh, yeah, I trust your dad, and then goes runs in the street, he's a liar. He doesn't trust me. But if you trust, you obey. And nothing makes this clearer than the story of Abraham. God, God gives Abraham this promise, and then he tells Abraham to do what? Go take Isaac the son that I've given you, your miracle child, the son that I gave you when you were 99 years old, take Isaac and sacrifice him. Can you imagine what was going through Abraham's mind when God told him that? Take your son, the son that I promised you, the son that I gave you when you were 99 years old, the son that I told you that through him all your offspring shall be named, and I want you to take him and I want you to sacrifice. What does Abraham do? You remember the story? It says he got up early in the morning and took his son and took him to the mount, Mount Moriah, to sacrifice him. What, is it? what, what does this mean? What was God doing? God, God was testing Abraham's faith. Again, some people look at that and they, they just they completely ignore the entire context and the entire flow of the story and say, oh, how could God command Abraham to sacrifice his own son? Look at, look at how evil God is, blah, blah, blah. But they totally missed the whole point. The point is God had promised Abraham that through Isaac shall his offspring be named. How much does Abraham believe that promise? Well, Abraham shows us. He has the faith to go to the altar and sacrifice his own son. Why? Hebrews 11 tells us. Hebrews 11 verse 17. It says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. 
And he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Do you see that? Do you see what it's saying? God's, Abraham's faith in God was so strong that he believed that even if he killed Isaac, God was so faithful to his promise that if God had to raise Isaac from the dead, he would do it. In other words, if God has to do all the miracles in the world to fulfill his promise, it doesn't matter. He'll will to do it. The question is, will we trust and obey even when we don't understand? That's the question. Is our trust in God's promises enough that we will trust and obey even when we don't understand? This is the core of Christianity. And this is what it means to believe in God, to believe the promises. Faith, uh, faith is the root of salvation. Works is the fruit of salvation. Our, our, works, fl- our, our works flow from our faith, not the other way around. We don't, we don't try to earn our right standing before God. We trust in God. We believe in Jesus Christ and the one whom he has sent as our only hope of salvation. But when we believe Jesus, we'll obey Jesus. And then when we do, and in trusting in Christ, the Bible says we have access to all the promises of God. In Corinthians, the Bible says all the promises of God find their yes in him. If you believe in Jesus Christ, that he came, that he died for our sins, that he rose from the dead, conquering the penalty for sin, so that even though we've sinned, we won't have to die, but we will have eternal life in him if we believe in Jesus Christ. If you believe that, if you believe in God and in Jesus Christ, all the promises of God find their yes in him. And that means you receive every promise. That means that you will receive the promise of Abraham. You will one day live in a land with God face to face. The promise becomes yours because you are a child of Abraham, a child of God through faith. So God's promise is guaranteed by his faithfulness. God's promise is accessed by faith. And finally, God's promise is fulfilled through obedience. God's promise is fulfilled through obedience. So, we see in that Abraham's life, Abraham's family is a restart, if you will, on humanity. It's the, the initiation of God's secret rescue plan through Abraham, through the promise to Abraham, and ultimately through Christ, God was going to extend the promise to the whole world, including you and including me thousands of years later. And God made this promise to Abraham and there's something, there's something interesting about these promises that I want to draw out that I think is important uh, and that I think you'll find uh, helpful. And that is, there are times when you read the story of Abraham, and not just Abraham, but all through the Bible, really, there are times that when God makes promises, he presents it in two different ways. On the one hand, he gives a promise and he, he presents it in a way that says, This is going to happen no matter what. That's what we've been talking about. 
this is going to happen no matter what. God gives a promise and he guarantees it. He says, no matter what, this promise is going to happen. But when you read the Bible, there are other places too where God seems to give a condition of obedience to the promise. In other words, there are other times where God says, this is the promise, this is the blessing if you obey. But if you don't obey, you don't get the blessing. And so when you read these things, you kind of it's a little confusing. And let's look at an example of this with Abraham in Genesis 15. In Genesis 15, the rest of that chapter, this is 7 and following. This is, again, God confirming in the strongest possible way. He's confirming the promise to Abraham. And this is what it says. Uh, And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. But he said, O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? And he said to him, bring me a heifer three years old, a female goat three years old, a ram three years old, a turtle dove and a young pigeon. And he brought him all these and cut them in half and laid each half over and against the other. But he did not cut the birds in half. And when the birds of prey came down on the carcasses, Abraham drove them away. And as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram. And behold, dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. Then the Lord said to Abram, Know for certain that your offspring will be sojourners in a land that is not theirs and will be servants there and they will be afflicted for 400 years. But I will bring judgment on the nation that they serve and afterward they shall come out with great possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace and you shall be buried in good old age and they shall come back here in the fourth generation for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. When the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. What does this mean? This is very strange and it's very unusual. But this is what's important. This was an ancient ritual that, that, that kings would do to confirm a covenant. They would take animals and they would cut them in half. And they would, they would set the terms of the covenant and, and give the promises. And, and if you do this, I'll do this. And if you do this, I'll do this. And it sets the terms of the relationship. A covenant establishes a relationship between two parties. God is confirming this covenant to Abraham. I will do this. I will give this land to your offspring. And in this ritual, they would cut the animals in half, and they, both parties would walk through the pieces. And what, was, what does that mean? It means what they are saying is that if I break this covenant... Let me become like these animals. Okay? It's a strong way to confirm the covenant, to show that if I violate this covenant, I will face penalty of death. The thing that we need to recognize about this that's so important is this. Only God walks through the pieces. God is represented by the the smoking fire pot and the torch. Right in, in the Exodus, God was represented by a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud. Right, We have a smoking fire pot and a torch. He passes through the pieces. What is God saying? God is saying to Abraham, I will keep my promise no matter what. Guess what? Even if it costs me my life. Now that's unusual, isn't it? How could God stake his own life? God can't die. Or can he? 
Do you see what's going on here? God is saying no matter what, he will keep his promise. But, but there's another side to this. And that's in Genesis 17, 1 and 2. God says this to Abraham. It says, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. What is that? What does that sound like? It sounds like God is saying, on the one hand, I will keep my promise no matter what. On the other hand, you have to be faithful to me to keep my promise. So which is it? Will God keep his promise no matter what? Or does God need a faithful covenant partner to keep his promise So, in order for God to fulfill it? Which one is it? The answer is yes. It's both. What, what am I saying? I'm saying this. God needs a faithful covenant partner. If we violate God's covenant, we have broken the relationship by definition. God needs a faithful covenant partner to keep his covenant with us, to keep his promise. But what about us who can't keep the covenant? What about us who are always breaking God's law? What about us who is always violating our relationship with God? What What is the hope for us? God says this, I will give you a faithful covenant partner. I will give you a man who is faithful. I will give you a man who, the Bible says, fulfills the law and never once breaks it. I will put put someone out for you who will be faithful for you so that I can keep my promise to you. How can God both guarantee his covenant no matter what and require a faithful covenant partner at the same time? By giving us a faithful one to stand in our place to keep the terms of the covenant that we couldn't keep, but he kept for us so that if we believe in him, God will still keep his promise to us, even if it costs him his life. We were unfaithful to God. We are unfaithful to God. So Jesus was faithful for us. You see it? That's the gospel. God said, I'll keep my promise no matter what. Through him. And if we will believe God, just like Abraham believed God, we, we get, we, we're in. We're in the covenant. We're in the promise. We get the blessings. If we believe in him. And so we see that God's promise is guaranteed by his faithfulness. God's promise is accessed by faith. And God's promise is fulfilled by obedience. Not mine, but his. That is good news. That means that anybody in this room this morning, no matter what you've done, and no matter for how long you've done it, your unfaithfulness can be covered by the faithfulness of him. If you will trust, believe in God, believe in the one whom he has sent, who has lived, who has died, who has risen again to keep God's promise for you. And so my plea this morning is if you will believe in him, you can be saved. You can be covered. You can be brought into this forever family and have the guarantee of of inheriting the promise, a world free from sin in which we will dwell with our God 
forever. Let's pray.